Chris Miller and Philip Lord. Yeah, Larry, um, you know, there's nobody on the stage who doesn't love and respect Larry so much for all that he's contributed to Star Wars. And I think that as the executive producer of this particular movie and the writer, uh, along with his son John, um, he, he had a lot of passion for the idea of uh, Chris and Phil coming aboard to direct this movie. And he was quite vocal about it in the way that Larry can be. <laughs> um, and, and really, I think, had a tremendous amount of, um, of, of belief in them and, and a feeling that, that they were just the right people to do this. And, and I think that uh, that ended up being really meaningful to all of us as we you know, went forward and, and, and put the whole thing together and, and made it happen. And now it's, uh, it's real and everybody's working together. It's pretty cool. The response from the first 20 has been really positive. I think everybody just complained about how short they were. Uh, I get a phone call that George wanted to talk to me, and he had, they had this idea because they wanted to do more, but he wanted it to tie in directly into episode three. It seemed like an honor. You know, he, he enjoyed the first batch enough to want to be like, hey, let's do some more, and not only that, let's watch you guys animate the opening scrawl, basically. Like, woohoo! That's one of the great things about these. They're 12-minute episodes, and wow, we could fit four times, obviously, as much information, and plus it directly ties into the third movie which makes it even more captivating. Come on, baby, let's start anew. Cause breaking up is hard to do. Are you looking forward to watching a Han Solo movie as a fan? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> everywhere. Welcome to episode number 79 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And it's Gabe. Hey Gabe, it's it's too bad there's no Star Wars news to talk about this week. I know, we almost thought about not doing an episode because there's just nothing going on. Just, there's nothing happening. There's no wow. Star Wars stuff in the news. Nobody's really talking about anything. Yeah, I don't even know if people like Star Wars anymore. <laughs> At least people could show a little enthusiasm or compassion for some issues that have to do with the Star Wars. Everybody's too busy watching Transformers, I think. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit going on with that uh, that Han Solo movie. Han Solo. 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 Yeah, a little bit of excitement. <laughs> a little some, drama. A little behind the scenes switcheroo going on. Yeah, some chitter chatter. Not that I would have enjoyed the Transformers movie anymore, but I was sitting in the theater when you texted me. <laughs> and I was like, man, I, I'm not going to be able to pay attention to the movie because I was thinking about the Han Solo stuff the whole time. Did, did, uh, did thinking about the Han Solo drama interfere your comprehension of the plot of Transformers <laughs> the last night? No, I don't, I don't think it made a difference. Let's go way back. Let's 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 turn it back with all this Han Solo stuff, and let's go through a brief history of Han Solo movie drama weirdness. Kind of, Gabe, where where does it really all begin? I think yeah. The extra weird thing is there was talk of Han Solo's backstory being in Revenge of the Sith, if people remember, and there was that concept sketch of like dirty kid Han Solo and how he was going to be raised by Wookiees and people were kind of freaking out about that and worried that that was going to be in Revenge of the Sith which never panned out but the, I mean, we saw the concept art for it so it was something Lucas definitely thought about which in a way I kind of works because I think I've always been more of a Chewie fan than a Han fan so I kind of like the idea that Han's just Chewie's sidekick <laughs> which is they which they play with in the Chewie comic where when the crawl talks about how Chewie was the one that saved the Death Star and all that stuff and Han's just you know coming along for the ride so I'm yeah. fine with that. You could look at I mean I mean, especially the Force Awakens comes to mind as you know Chewie's kind of the smarter half in the equation. Yeah. <laughs> when did they announce the Han Solo movie? That was after Celebration for Force Awakens, right? And a little bit before Celebration for Rogue One, they announced that it was Han Solo, right? I believe so, yeah. And I think they announced the directors at the same time. Poor Lord and Miller. Yeah, man, they were on a roal. <laughs> we'll we'll talk some more about, yeah, about yeah. those goofballs coming up later. But I think it was kind of last summer when words started coming out from... Ian McCraig, concept artist Ian McCraig, and J.J. Abrams, where they both were praising Lawrence Kasdan's script, saying it was like the best Star Wars script they had ever read, and it had laughs and it had heart. And Kasdan wrote that script, or at least wrote part of it, before he started working on The Force Awakens, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that. That Yeah, he was hired to do the Han Solo movie, and then... I don't know if it was Kathleen Kennedy or JJ's idea to bring him on to help write Force Awakens after the Michael Arndt stuff didn't work out. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's an actually I had forgotten about that. So that's even more reason why this that script is so near and dear to him because he's been working on it for God, what is that three years now? Yeah, and as at he, least as he should have because as discussed in the Star Wars annotated screenplays book. When they were hashing out Empire, it was Lucas and Kasdan that came up with Han's whole backstory. That he's an orphan raised by Wookiees, 
He left, flunked out of the Space Academy, then met some kind of Ernest Hemingway character, a very powerful traitor in the galaxy, who took Han under his wing until they had a falling out. Han swore he'd never talk to him again. Which I still think this Ernest Hemingway character that they came up with back in 1979, 78 or something, this could very well be Woody Harrelson's character. And this could be... Yeah ideas that Kazan has been sitting on for almost 40 years. Yeah, makes sense. So flash forward to the next time we kind of started hearing about Han was at Celebration Europe. Where are you guys in terms of your, your, your uh, production? We just moved here two days ago. <laughs> um, and so we're very, very early. We're still uh, working on the script with uh, Larry and John Kasdan. Um, and... Um, Doing a lot of early pre-production on the, on the movie with, you know, design work and that sort of thing. Such an honor from Larry Kazan, your, our hero from growing up, watching all of his movies. And, I, like, I went to see Grand Canyon in the theater opening weekend. That's how big of a fan I am of Lawrence Kazan. You're like a real Larry head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was in high school. <laughs> so it's a dream come true just from, just from this part alone. Not, not to mention the, the rest of it. They seemed like odd choices to make a Star Wars movie with, you know, with their credits being animated films and the 21 Jump Street movies. But as we've talked about many times, we just thought, well, this movie's just going to be goofy. I was, and you know, maybe this is one of those things where depending on how hardcore of a Han Solo fan you are, like, you either have to take Han Solo seriously or you're okay with it being goofy. Because I like you know, all the movies of theirs that they've made are good movies for what they are. And they seem to be able to make things that you don't think are going to work, work, which was kind of what the Han movie was. Cause a lot of people were, and it still are, I think a little hesitant with this movie because it's, it's the first time we're recasting a main star Wars character. I mean, well, I guess other than Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess we did get that for the prequel. So I take that back, but it was, an odd choice and may still be an odd choice for one of the standalone films. Cause it is still so close to the, to the saga films, at least as far as it, you know, being on. So then the next thing that kind of happened was filming started and everything seemed great. We were getting spy photos of race cars, flying race cars. Um, there was the neat force for change video where we saw a little six eyed alien, everything you know, to us, Celebration Orlando comes. First of all, the schedule comes out, and there's absolutely nothing about a future filmmakers panel, which was at Anaheim and at Europe, which was immediately kind of odd. But everyone just kind of blew it off as, well, this celebration, they're focusing on the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, and they're focusing on The Last Jedi, and maybe they're not ready to talk about what's next. Except, right? During the Last Jedi panel, since we were, like we've talked about, we were sitting in the back, we could see on the teleprompter that there was supposed to be some stuff about the Han Solo movie, right? Josh Gad was going to ask Kathleen Kennedy, and right now they're, in, they're filming a Han Solo movie. And that question was just completely skipped over. Yeah. Because we turned around, and we were like, oh man, they're going to talk about Han next. I remember we were walking back to the hotel after that panel, and we were like, oh, that's weird they skipped over that Han question. But like, well, 
Makes sense, because they probably just wanted to talk about The Last Jedi. Yeah, it's like, oh, they'll just focus on Last Jedi. They'll talk about Han stuff later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But probably the writing was already on the wall by then. I guess if there were concerns, yeah, maybe they had started around that time. And I guess, you know, this isn't the first time they had to part ways with a uh, standalone director Mm -hmm. around around Celebration. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they probably didn't want to have to say Lord and Miller had a cold or whatever. <laughs> so it was best just to not say anything. He slipped in the bathtub. Oh, they overslept. <laughs> he's got he's got the bad guts, everybody. You know. Yeah. He, everybody knows what that means. Yeah. Whole you don't crowd. want to be around it. <laughs> the whole crowd. <laughs> so the next thing that kind of happens is there was last week the Lucasfilm announcement saying that they had creative differences and they were no longer directing the movie. And then everybody freaked out. Which people do with Star Wars news. <laughs> so, Everything. They, they freak out. Yeah. You can't blame them. The next Star Wars movie is set in space. What? No! No. <laughs> Thousands of words are written by thousands of people. We're kind of each taking on a side of the story. There's all kinds of hearsay and he said, she said, this, that, you know. And I don't know what percentage of the thousands of words written by people are actually by people who know how Hollywood movies get made or how Hollywood studios work. But I I think maybe five or six out of the thousand that have written about the Han Solo movie actually know anything, you know? But it is a big deal in a way that, because this really doesn't happen very often, though, where directors are fired mid-filming. Or this, or three weeks until the end of... (laughs) Right, not even mid, like, well past mid-filming. Yeah. All kinds of crazy stories start coming out, and very valid questions, like... Why did, why this close to the end? Or didn't if this is the way these guys make movies, which supposedly is very like improv based, we'll just film a bunch of scenes of people goofing around and we'll put it together in the editing room. I would imagine that Luke's film does very thorough interviews and background checks. And so people, you could say, well, why didn't Lucasfilm know this before hiring them? But then also, they could have danced the dance when they were in the Lucasfilm offices and said, oh, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll film the script and we'll film what's what's needed. But on set, it could have been a whole different story. It's not like these guys, this isn't their first movie. Like, they've done this before. So, and they have a process and it's been a successful process for them because they've kind of exceeded expectations with all the movies that they made. It's like, even with the what Claudia with a chance of meatballs, like you know, who thought that would be a big hit? And then the Twenty One Jump Street movies, which I had no interest in seeing, and then after seeing them, I'm like that is not what I expected, but it was entertaining. And the Lego Movie, so they know what they're doing, but I guess what they were doing isn't what Kathleen Kennedy and and Lawrence Kasdan wanted them to do. But I mean, I guess if you have Lawrence Kasdan who's been crafting the script for years, and they're more 
treat the script as a rough outline mm-hmm. for improv, I could see where that would wouldn't quite mesh. I would have to think too that somewhere early on there was a phone call or an email made or the 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 producer that was on set supposedly supervising had words with them like Kathy Kennedy isn't very happy or let's stick to the script. You would think though as smart people they would be like yes let's stop goofing around. <laughs> Let's just let's finish this movie. And if the boss is telling us to stop goofing around, let's stop goofing around. And if the the, you know, if the stories are true, that their original intent was to let them finish. And then they balked at the idea of anyone else coming in and doing taking over reshoots. And if they said no to that, like, I don't know if that's like incredibly brave or incredibly stupid. Yeah. Well, I, like I say, I feel like in their case and in their mind, right, like it's different than Gareth Edwards who like he made an indie movie and then he made Godzilla, which was OK. You know, he's a young guy learning how to make these big movies is a little different than these guys who I mean, they haven't made a huge Star Wars style movie, but they, you know, they have their formula and they have the way they work. So. I'm sure they're more confident in their abilities than maybe Gareth Edwards was. So, I mean, why wouldn't they say, hey, we're going to do it our way or not? Because they probably felt like they were hired to make a Lord and Miller Star Wars movie. But Lucasfilm (laughs) didn't quite think that way. So, yeah, I think they're just (laughs) they're just brave guys. I don't know. (laughs) So then they get fired. They get fired on Tuesday, and then on Thursday, it is announced that Ron Howard is taking over as director. It makes sense. It's a probably a perfect fit. I think it's one of the names that I can't complain about them going with. He's as close to a Star Wars family member as it gets, right? He was yeah. in American Graffiti. He directed Willow. He was supposed to direct, uh, or he got offered to direct Phantom Menace. He's been, yeah, public about his uh, love of Star Wars for a really long time. Yeah, he's part of the Lucasfilm family, really, in a way. And it's interesting that he kind of cut his teeth making Grand Theft Auto. I'm Ron Howard. This is Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is a love story with cars. And I love him, and that's why we're going to Las Vegas to get married. I want my Rolls Royce. This Rolls Royce isn't exactly mine. Want to pull over and fool around a little? Also, it's a comedy. With car crashes. Which a movie that is just one giant car chase from beginning to end. And it's amazing. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. It was for a long time, but Grand Theft Auto is great. But it's just one giant silly car chase. I mean, he knows how to how to make car chase things. He knows how to edit this. And he's a director that has absolutely almost no style. Right. So he's not going to come into a Star Wars movie and suddenly dump his style on top of it and make it look... He can do anything. Like, he can do Apollo 13, and he can do, you know, Da Vinci Code or something. 
or a beautiful right. mind or backdraft. Like he's all over the place. Yeah. Based on the way it seems like Lucasfilm wants to work these days, he makes more sense. Like, why didn't they try to get him in the first place? That's that's like the million dollar question. Because now that he's the director, it's like, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm cool with that. But when they hired Lord and Miller, it felt like, okay, they're trying to make these Star Wars stories something different. And, you know, I kind of feel like, I was looking for them to being kind of like the Star Wars Tales comic, which is all over the place where there'll be a serious story, then there'll be a goofy story. And they really feel like stories that you couldn't tell in the saga films because there's a there's a feel and a format and a style to the saga films that you got to stick to or it's not a Star Wars movie with, you know. But in this case, like I was excited to get this wacky, goofy, different take on a Han Solo movie. But it sounds like that's not the direction that they want to go. Well, and I'm sure that Kasdan's screenplay had a lot of humor in it. and But those were probably the jokes that they wanted in the movie. Because now, like, there was a report that came out on, like, StarWarsNews.net that Alden Ehrenreich complained to producers about the way he was being directed to perform Han Solo and people saying that it was almost Jim Carrey Ace Ventura-like. Alrighty then. I really want to see that. Now. <laughs> like, because I think the whole thing that's weird is like, I really want to know what George Lucas would think or thought, and if he saw any of this footage. Because George is a weird dude, and like, this is sounding like it was live action uh, detours, which <laughs> I kind of want to see that too. You know, where Lucas's humor was really out there and super goofy. I almost feel like he would have liked that direction, you know? He might but, have, yeah. But then also he, as we saw with The Force Awakens, he is still very possessive of the characters he created and the decisions other people make for those characters. So that's And that's kind of like why we said maybe he liked Rogue One, because he doesn't care about Jin or Cassian or Cheered or Baze, you know? And if there's a scene of Han Solo talking out of his butt, like, like <laughs> Ace Ventura style, you know, George Lucas might kind of be like, I don't know about that one. Maybe, but he loved the robot chicken specials with all the, I mean, those are some wacky things. And, you know, everything we've seen at Detours, I wouldn't be surprised if in Detours somewhere there is Han Solo talking out of his butt. (laughs) And, you know, and George Lucas was all about that. So I I tell you a secret. I don't care anymore, people. I I don't know. And I think part of this whole thing, it, it goes back to maybe a Han movie wasn't the right choice just because of the fact that everyone has their own feelings about Han Solo and probably interpretation of how they think Han Solo as a character should be, you know, deciding who gets to decide who Han Solo. I mean, it makes sense to have Kasdan do it because he was there with Lucas in the beginning, but I'm sure Lord Miller had their feelings of how they wanted Han to be. What the heck's Han Solo's name? Alden his first name? Alden Alden Alden. I was going to call him Adrian. <laughs> Adrian Arachnoid, he had his feelings, and and you know Harrison Ford is an inhuman force of nature that is irreplaceable. So it's got to be a weird situation all around of like getting finding a balance of who 
whose Han is the right Han. Mm-hmm. Um, and still coming so close to Force Awakens, which was really like half a Han Solo movie, too. Um, we don't have like 10 years of distance between seeing Harrison Ford as Han Solo and then this new thing coming on. Well, I almost wonder if like when they thought, OK, we're going to do these standalone movies. And the original thought was like we were saying, we're going to take risks. And they hired Josh Trank, Gareth Edwards and they probably started talking to Lord and Miller, like these young up and coming directors with lots of ideas and lots of style. And I wonder if that's why now we haven't heard anything about the third standalone movie. Cause I almost wonder at this point, if they're like, maybe this, the young artist, maybe that's not the way to go for these kind of movies right now. After the force awakens comes out and makes a gajillion dollars, and there's theme parks being built, and Star Wars is literally more popular than ever. Maybe now is now is not the time to take risks. Maybe yeah. in 15 years, when we've got the 10th standalone movie or the 8th standalone movie, <laughs> you know, when, when Star Wars gets into the area where Marvel's at now, where they can make an Ant-Man movie or Guardians of the Galaxy 2, maybe then Star Wars can start okay, we can loosen up the reins a little bit. But I totally understand that right now they got to keep the car on the road real careful. In a way, that's not Star Wars, because if one thing you can say, I think everyone can agree with George Lucas, is he never played it safe and always took risks with every movie. And really every kind of thing he did, because like doing Clone Wars was kind of a risk. Doing Empire Strikes Back was a risk. Doing Return of the Jedi was a risk. Doing the prequels at all was a risk. The prequel movies, they didn't play it safe ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of people hated them for that. That's Lucas, and that's kind of what Star Wars and Lucasfilm were kind of about. Like, just even like Indiana Jones. Like, you know, who would have thought a swashbuckling uh, archaeologist, you know, who else would have made that movie? That's what's weird is it's not like Marvel who is kind of starting out and building this thing and trying to get people on board with talking raccoons and things. Because right from the first Star Wars, we had, you know, robots that didn't talk talking to robots that talk. And, you know, we just had the New Hope episode about just really how weird that movie was. It's true. It's true. So it's a weird place to be because we're enjoying what Lucasfilm and Disney's putting out. But are we missing out on some real magic because they're scared to take risks now that it is more of a, it's so big now they're scared to rock the boat? I think it's partially unique to this situation because were it not a script by Lawrence Kasdan, perhaps they would be more willing to let these guys do some shenanigans. Yeah. But I think because it is Kasdan... And they owe so much to him and his script pages. I think it's more don't mess with that kind of attitude. And Kathy Kennedy has been dealing with stuff like this in Hollywood since before so many of these people were even born. Yeah. Kasdan, too. I don't know. I mean, in a way, like I get where people say, like, is... Lucasfilm forgetting the Star Wars vision and with all this tight creative control, possibly. Also, I kind of think these guys are goofballs for trying to buck the system now with this movie. 
from what you're saying, it makes it even weirder because you would think Kathy Kennedy's been around long enough to know don't hire guys who do a lot of improv and make goofy movies <laughs> to make Lawrence Kasdan's like four year long dream Han Solo movie. Like you would think they would have thought of that and like, hey, we really want to work with you guys. We're going to save you. You know, in two years, we're going to do Greedo's Big Adventure and you guys are going to be perfect for it. <laughs> You know, that's what's weird. It's like Reese buys a car, the motion picture. Yeah. Reese Rider or something. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. on a motorcycle a space motorcycle flying yeah. through space, seeing yeah. the galaxy. Yeah, you know. We want you to work on that, which <laughs> makes total sense. Like, give them some goofy stuff, you know. Give them an all-alien, wacky thing. It's, so that's what's just so strange is, like, Kathleen Kennedy knows what she's doing and how did this even happen. And it's not even like this is the first – like, if this was Rogue One, maybe you'd be like, well, they're not quite sure what they need to do. But, like, they just went through all this with Rogue One with the reshoots and everything, too. So And the, the Josh Trank Boba Fett movie debacle. Yeah, so this is the, th- the third time kind of dealing with this whole thing. So, hmm. I don't know. And it's weird to think, even if the movie was turning out horrible, like George Lucas and I'll, uh, Lucasfilm and everything, that entire, and Star Wars and all that was all built on George Lucas, the director, artist, not wanting producers and other people telling him what to do <laughs> and telling him how to make his movie. <laughs> and now Lucasfilm, even now he's gone and they're telling their young directors like how to make their movie. So that's weird too, right? Yeah. It's, someday we'll get the story of Star Wars story, story, like <laughs> historical drama or something. And, and it'll be as interesting as any of the other movies. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. You were saying with like, you know, the problems Lucas had because Star Wars and problems, especially in the original trilogy, I mean, they've gone hand in hand for a while. Like on A New Hope, you know, Lucas had the heart attack and there was all the pressure from Fox and threatening to take the movie away from him constantly and Alan Ladd fighting in Lucas's corner and all the problems with ILM. And then Empire Strikes Back was over schedule and over budget. And interestingly enough, you know, um, Kirshner had a little bit of improv going on, most famously the I Love You, I Know, a yeah, Han Improv line. by Han Solo, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not in the script, and it's like, you know, you know, one of the most iconic lines in the whole saga. And Return of the Jedi, Ralph McQuarrie quits, and Gary Kurtz quits, and there were Gary Kurtz get fired? <sighs> if you he listen, got, if he you, got, I thought he got he was gone before Return of the Jedi because there was all the disagreements over the budget for Empire. Yeah, if you if you listen to interviews with Kurtz, he says he quit because he didn't like how corporate Lucasfilm was becoming. But who knows how true that is. Yeah. But there were some heated arguments between Lucas and Kasdan during the script phases for Return of the Jedi. Yeah, well, and Kasdan didn't want to work with Lucas on the prequels. No, and but it's you know mostly the prequels were kind of drama free. Well, that's what Rick McCollum gets you. <laughs> that was the power of Tricky Rick. Smooth sailing, yep. 
I wonder what Tricky Rick thinks of all this news. He's probably laughing it up. Swearing. Swearing, yeah. Drinking Czechoslovakian vodka or something. He's drinking gasoline. Yeah. (laughs) Spitting out fireballs, because that's how Rick McCallum lives. Yeah. It's so dense. Every single image has so many things going on. Ron Howard's going to make the movie. I'm sure the movie's going to be great. It might not be the movie we originally were going to get, but... That footage, the Lord and Miller footage, is going to be buried next to detours, wherever that is, somewhere yeah. somewhere yeah. deep underground in San Francisco. <laughs> in the vault, beneath the vault, yeah. under, the, under the bay. You got to get the staff of Ra and go to a map room to find out where the detours in the Lord and Miller footage is yeah. buried. I guess you know, the only thing going forward, I wonder if, if Lucasfilm's going to have problems, is if they decide to go with bigger directors with some, you know, some hits behind them or some clout, like, are they going to be scared off now? Because yep. Ron Howard makes sense because, like we said, he's part of the family. And small guys like Gareth Edwards, they're going to, who's going to turn down a chance to, to play in the Star Wars universe? But pretty much anyone who's kind of a big name director, like, are they going to be scared off because they're going to come in and want to do their thing? And are, are is that going to happen to them? Because again, Lord and Miller, like they're not, you know, they're not Steven Spielberg, but they're not like some guy out of film school. Like they mm-hmm. have, and maybe Lucasfilm's deciding they don't ever want that. They don't want another big director to come in. I don't know. Well, and my thought is, if you are that guy right out of film school, if you get offered the job to make a Star Wars movie, and if you do it, and if you do what your bosses tell you, and it's successful, then after that, then you can, like, whatever Gareth Edwards is going to do next, he's going to have more doors opening up for him yeah. than he would have if he was like, what, Tony Gilroy, I'm out. I don't know. It's an interesting debate. Yeah, but I think the best thing is a lot of people were worried about Colin Trevorrow after <laughs> Jurassic World, and a lot of people were really worried about Colin Trevorrow after Book of Henry. But now we know if Episode Nine isn't working out, <laughs> he, he's going to get eaten by a dinosaur. <laughs> so, Somewhere Colin Trevorrow is sweating. So we don't have to worry about uh, them axing someone who's not uh, fulfilling the vision. So that's a, I think that's the best thing to come out of it, that there's no need to worry about Trevorrow. And, you know, people think that in the the pre-Disney days of Star Wars, there weren't creative, there were things like this going on during the George Lucas era. You know, some people have been saying that. But there is one noticeable firing, possibly, that people have kind of forgotten about and don't really talk about. And it goes back to the, the Jendi Tartofsky. Is that how you say his last, his last name? I know. We I don't, is it Gendy or Gendy too? Who I knows? Yeah, I don't know. G and Guy. So it is Gendy. So Gendy. you had that part right. You you always call him Gendy, didn't you? Or did you call him Gendy? I don't know. Who knows? You pronounce everyone's name wrong anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Gendy Tutkovsky. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's just call him. Let's just call him Gendy. Uh, it's Gendy. So yeah, the secret Clone Wars. The Gendy Clone Wars. Yeah, everyone 
thought everything was great, and then when they decided to make new Clone Wars, Gendy was out, and it's kind of a mystery specifically what happened, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because like the one we're talking about here is what Clone Wars Volume Three they call it. It's Volume Two, but it was Chapter Three. Yeah, I think. chapters twenty-one through twenty-five. Basically, all the stuff that leads into Revenge of the Sith. So, this came out in March 2005. Then, April 2005, Lucas is at Celebration, and he makes the announcement that they're expanding Clone Wars into a half-hour show, and it's going to be 3D animated. Well, we've been talking uh, about Star Wars TV series. Um, We're working on one right now, which is Clone Wars, which has been on the air, and we're going to try to expand that into a half an hour of uh, 3D animation. So I gotta wonder: Is was Jendi still attached at that time? Yeah, because when did they announce Dave Filoni? That's a good question. He was at Celebration Four in two thousand seven with the producer Kathleen Winder to talk the beginnings of a new television series and reveal how the Clone Wars is being created. Two years after Lucas made the announcement that they were going to do a half hour long right. Clone Wars show. Yeah, so I gotta think that there was some initial planning while Gendy was still around. In a Huffington Post interview in 2012, he was Gendy was asked if it bothers him that his Clone Wars is no longer canon and has basically been swept under the rug at Lucasfilm. And his response was, no, again, it's not my characters, so he, referring to Lucas, can do whatever he wants. And the story was also that I was going to do it. I was going to go to Lucas and be their John Lasseter type of person and do a feature and supervise the Star Wars television show. And things kind of fell apart, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I'm super proud of what we did, and I feel like we did a justice to Star Wars and as a fan. So basically, in that little response in that Huffington Post article from 2012, he's basically saying he was in line to be Dave Filoni. And he, they would talk to him about doing a feature. Because isn't there another, I thought we have came across another article where he says he never watched the 3D show because it hurt or something. He says it's that same interview where he later says, yeah. Is this another case of, we'll get into details of someone being a little too wild and goofy? I don't know. Something had to have happened at some time between him and Lucas that fell apart, but or maybe it is a similar a similar situation to Lord Miller, where perhaps Lucas, you know, Lucas was hands on with Clone Wars with Filoni, and I wonder if Lucas was like, well, if we're going to do a half hour series, I want to be very hands on in the the stories that are t- being told. I wonder if Gendy was kind of like, no, yeah, I want to do my thing, or maybe he didn't want to switch to three D. You know, who knows. But it is. It's an unfortunate thing in the history of Star Wars and the fact that because the new Clone Wars was so successful that the old Clone Wars has kind of disappeared to the secret land of Star Wars stuff where it only lives on YouTube and in people's hearts and dreams. What if dreams came true? But dreams do come true, don't they? This chapter is 21 through 25. We both just went back to it this past week. It's amazing. I haven't gone back to it in a long time because I remember not liking it for some reason. And I remember thinking that it was boring and not as good as the first one. And I really 
remember not liking the Anakin stuff with the hamster people. But then going back and watching it, like that whole part really wasn't as much of the story as I remembered. And even that part didn't bother me. So um, it was actually something I was talking to our friend Richie about today that because he was, had some of the same feelings of not remembering, enjoying it. But I feel like it's better now than when it came out. Because when it came out, it was like there to get you hyped for Revenge of the Sith. And maybe the fact that Anakin was kind of sidelined to more of a less of an action story and kind of more of a introspective story. It wasn't what we were expecting or wanting at the time of like just getting pumped up for Revenge of the Sith. That now watching it, you know, years later, like it's even better now that the saga's done, the Anakin story's kind of done, and going back and watching this, like yeah, it's really good. In these, the action from the first parts has slowed down. There's more quiet moments. There's more character moments. He spends more time with Anakin and Obi-Wan, more time with Anakin and Padme in these parts. And it's almost like more of like, well, this is what my Clone Wars show would have been like, like Jendi saying that. I couldn't figure out how I didn't remember liking this. Like, what... What was wrong with me when this came out? That because I've gone back and watched the the volume one, basically the what was that chapters one and two, tons of times, and I just I haven't revisited this one in years. I didn't um, know when we were getting ready. I didn't know. I did a little bit of research. I found out that uh, a lot of this is based on early plot outlines for the novel Labyrinth of Evil by James Lucino, which I had read like when it came out. And I've always sworn by that one that I loved that book, but I didn't know. I didn't. I never even thought about that. Uh, they are kind of similar in their story. I mean, there's huge differences, and it makes sense that it was based on an early outline of that book. But the whole siege on uh, Coruscant is very similar in James Lucino's book. And I've like for some reason I just never put that together. Well, that's even just going. I mean, we'll we'll go through the specifics, but there are a lot of little things that. I just totally glossed over the first time that really tie into the rest of the movies. I think the other thing that was, that was fun for me is I ended up watching it with my son, Ethan. And at first he came down to watch it and he thought I, he was like, what is this star Wars? I thought we were going to watch Thunderbirds. And I was like, no, I said, clone wars, not Thunderbirds. Um, (laughs) So he was like, I don't want to watch that. And then I started it and he saw the clone trooper and he was like, Oh, this is just like clone wars adventures. Cause he'd read all the, Clone Wars Adventures comics. Oh wow, wild! So yeah. then he was like, "This is awesome because it it you know it's the Clone Wars Adventures comics, which is kind of the other side of this." I think we talked about this when we talked about the the first part of this that on the Marvel app they have all the old Star Wars comics. They don't have the Clone Wars Adventures, weird, which are the comic version of this style story. So yeah, yeah, it was yeah it was fun watching with him because he he was really into it. So right away, this part of Clone Wars starts out right where the last one left off with the attack uh, by General Grievous. Run, Jedi, run. You have only prolonged the inevitable. Crazy Grievous. This is pre-kind of cowardly Grievous that we got in the movies. Killer, malicious, killer Grievous. Yeah, this is like psychopath Grievous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you got a bunch um, of clone troopers with giant guns. 
and you know, like, like the other stuff, like a lot of really cool, very animation driven, just like cool poses and scenes and shots and not a lot of dialogue. They get the, we got the cool, um, clone drop ship painted like a shark. So right after all the grievous stuff, you know, these episodes are playing for keeps because it cuts right to young Anakin talking to Qui-Gon on Dagobah. Did you hear that, Master Qui-Gon? Yes, Anakin. It calls to you. The tree? Yes. You must enter it. Alone. I'm afraid, Master. Control your fear. You are the chosen one. And you must be tested. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Your final test is at hand. Trust in the Force. It gets real wild. And I completely do not remember this part. So I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Where did this come from? I remember watching that when it was on like Cartoon Network. And when that Qui-Gon drops in, I almost died of a heart attack. Yeah, because he looks great. He's got his big giant cartoon Liam Neeson nose. Kid Anakin looks great. And just the whole idea of foreshadowing Empire, basically, but with Qui-Gon and Anakin, it's just, it's just really cool. And it's like what could have been if Qui-Gon had survived and the overall theme of this this series of uh, Anakin's test, like going into the cave and looking at yourself, facing the mirror. <laughs> um, yeah, you know it's just man, it's so good. And also, it reminded me of um, Filoni's Clone, Clone Wars, where Yoda went to Dagobah, and that's where Qui Gon's spirit survived. Yeah, with the and that, the fourth, the blue, the little follow the floating blue balls of light. Yep. Well, and the fact that that this vision is Yoda's vision, not Anakin's vision. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the start. You know, the, I think these are things I, I don't know. I just didn't sink in the first time that it's like the start of Yoda talking to Qui-Gon, right? Is he seeing Qui-Gon in his visions? And then it's like you get a little bit of deep stuff, and then they kick into the Jedi Council meeting. Oh, it's the greatest hits. Greatest hits parade. Yeah, where, you know, someone told Gendy, hey, there's this guy, Gabe, and he really likes Bearded Snake Man, Opal Rancisis, so give him some dialogue. This is preposterous. We can't set aside our most hallowed traditions. In this time of need, why do we hold back the Chosen One? <laughs> oh, man. And his, his, his hands are going crazy. Yeah, he's got Dr. Seuss fingers, and he's talking to to, to Little Pig Man, even Peel. Oh, there's just there is a lot of a lot of love going on in those couple minutes. Kit Fisto talks, this. and while he talks, he's smiling. Well, he is a cunning warrior and our best pilot. Like everything Mace Windu says, sounds like something that Mace Windu would say. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, like, it's really good. Yeah, they did a really good. The voices are great. Whether or not he is the chosen one is still to be determined. Hmm, Palpatine has been requesting this for months now. Politicians have no voice in Jedi matters. So then it it cuts to Coruscant. Yeah, nighttime in Coruscant. 
goofy street creatures walking down the street. Well, and I was looking at everybody looks like people that would have been hanging out in the Outlander bar in Attack of the Clones. It's very Attack of the Clones kind of extras. It reminds me of like flipping through the visual dictionary for Attack of the Clones. And just yeah. the weirdo people. Like it's a bunch of Australians that they dressed up and put like an elephant nose on or something. Yeah. And they're what? We got the mysterious figure in the Clark, the crowd. Who could it be? It's Anakin. Some smooching with Padme. I really like that when uh, uh, Padme goes, Annie. And then when they kiss, uh. Annie. <laughs> I like, too, for Padme, like, even though it's a cartoon, Padme has that, like, old movie uh, soft focus on yeah. her. Mm-hmm. Where she's a little bit, she's glowing a little bit compared to everybody else. It's so good because, like, a, Across the Stars starts playing and it gets really Attack of the Clones where it's like, I missed you so much. Yeah. I missed you so much. It's like I've always said, it's like the part on the balcony of Revenge of the Sith. A little Attack of the Clones goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. I'm tired of all this. Our love should not be hidden like it's some kind of immoral thing. Annie, you're almost a Jedi Knight, and then... And then what? Jedis aren't supposed to be married. And then in comes oh. 3PO. Yes. <laughs> Miss Padme! Miss Padme! Oh, no. 3PO. Miss Padme! Miss Padme! Uh, Stealing the show. <laughs> Possibly the most uncomfortable 3PO moment ever. <laughs> And we haven't, we haven't, well, we gotten, we haven't gotten through all the episodes of droids yet, but we will soon. Yeah, but three PO disrobing in this strangely erotic way, <laughs> showing off his naked bits with like stripper music playing. Yeah, with stripper music playing. You look different, three PO. Oh, it must be this disguise. No, three PO, it's your new gold plating. Gold plating? Oh yes, in the service of a senator, one must be presentable. Well, let's see it. Yeah, now. In this neighborhood. Very well. If you wish. Impressive. Most impressive. Yes, I'd rather fancy it myself. Maybe that was the scene that Lucas was like, I can't work with you anymore. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but uh, you gotta go. (laughs) I don't like 3PO to make me feel that way. (laughs) It makes me feel strange things. Yeah. One time I painted Linda Ronstadt gold, and it just didn't work out. <laughs> well, listen, Graham Cracker, you gotta you gotta get out of the ranch right now. <laughs> so Anakin goes to the temple, and he's late. Yeah, and there's the the great you're no Qui Gon Jin. <gasps> yeah, ooh, hitting hard. <laughs> you're right. I'm not a little boy, and as far as your wisdom goes, you're no Qui Gon Jin, Master. Forgive me, I, I didn't mean... I know. I miss him too. Not a day goes by that I don't look to his wisdom for guidance. I've done my best to pass his teaching to you. And in our time together, you have proven to me that you are capable of all he believed you would be. And now we must leave our roles as master and student. It is time we became... brothers. Master? But they, like, I don't know, that stuff's just, it's great, because it's like... 
It's Anakin being a jerk that he can be. In five minutes, we've had a lot of people talking about Qui-Gon, so I'm on board here. Yeah, and Obi-Wan, like, not even being offended because he's like, I know. I'm no (laughs) Qui-Gon. I wish I was Qui-Gon. Everybody does, really, except for Opo Rancistus, maybe. Yeah, he doesn't. Qui-Gon has legs. Why would I want to be him? (laughs) His fingers only go in one direction. (laughs) Lame. His beard is sweet, but he's not all beard. Yeah. My whole body's a beard. Give Lord Miller the Opal Rancisis standalone. Opal Rancisis standalone. Opal Rancisis is such a sorry story. Yeah. It's an Opal Ran crisis. <laughs> Who can stop it? But yeah, so basically more just gifts of, of gold of getting to see the Jedi Knight ceremony. It's even though this isn't canon, it's still canon because they haven't shown us a different way that they do it yet. Mm-hmm. They cut off his braid. It's awesome. It's great. It's a room lit by lightsabers. They give Anakin's Jedi braid to Padme, and she puts well, it. Well, Anakin, Anakin gives it to her. He gives it to three PO. Three PO gives it to her. Yes, she puts it in her special box with the Japor snippet. So good. It'll bring Which, her good fortune. Kind of foreshadowing Revenge of the Sith, but during during her funeral, she sh- she's wearing the Japor snippet, but she should have been wearing the braid as a mustache. <laughs> uh, special edition, <laughs> the Lord and Miller cut. Yeah, oh, she has it like up her nose or something. <laughs> um, no, the part like I completely missed it the first time watching this is the next scene that basically Padme gives Anakin R two as his. Jedi graduation gift. Oh, I know. Anakin jumps in his Jedi Starfighter, which maybe I'm weird, but that's one of my favorite Star Wars ships is the Revenge of the Sith Jedi Starfighter. So there's lots of action from that ship in this, uh, this volume. So I was very happy about that. And then you got the, the the awesome commander guy. 50 Jedi, come on! Yeah, 30 Jedi? I have a visual. Jedi? I think so. How many? A thousand? No. 80? No, sir. What? 50? Less. 40? Come on, how many? Two. What? Give me those! Now we're in full-on Revenge of the Sith territory. Like, Anakin's the awesome, cool pilot, the hero Jedi. He yeah. comes home to pad me... And meanwhile, Kenobi is um, sleeping in the rain. And I think this is like, you get the sense that they're doing the Outer Rim sieges that they talk about in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, two other things is that their costumes in here are the costumes that they borrowed for the 3D Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Anakin's hair is like super sweet with sideburns. There's a great scene where uh, Anakin shows up with uh, Kenobi in the rain. And it's a great long sequence of Anakin eating bugs. How can you eat that? But Master, you're the one who always taught me to feed off the living force. That's not what I... Yeah, the bug scene is so good. We get to see Commander Cody, too. But, uh, yeah, the bugs show up and kind of steal the show. It's like he's eating bugs, and then the bugs aren't enough. There's the big, the worm slurp. Yeah. 
and then you get kind of a, a sense of the the Clone Wars all over the galaxy and things aren't going good. You see the invasion of Kashyyyk starting. You get to see an awesome Max Rebo family. Which, again, right, in the live-action movies, give us a little bit of the... Give us a Max Rebo family. Come on. Oh. They don't all have to be new aliens. Just one Max Rebo. Like, have a Max Rebo walking around, singing. Maybe there's maybe there's one in the elevator with uh, Snoke. <laughs> He's like the elevator attendant. Mr. Snoke. Going out the Mr. Snoke. You look lovely today, Mr. Snoke. Yeah. I love the yeah, gold but- jumpsuit. Looks great with your eyes. <laughs> Then it kind of cuts to Grievous training with Dooku. Incredible. The stuff of dreams come to life. It's like, where did Grievous get those sweet moves? Right here. I'm a sucker for Clone Wars. For the Corey Burton Dooku. He's extra snotty in this one. (laughs) With the eyebrows. Don't let your pursuit of trinkets cloud your reality. Remember what I taught you, General. If you are to succeed in combat against the best of the Jedi... You must have fear, surprise, and intimidation on your side. You must break them before you engage them. Only then will you ensure victory. And then, of course, we get a little more of a robot hologram projector Palpatine. Now is the time to strike. Now is the time to launch our final operation. Is everything ready for your special mission? Um, but I was trying to figure out in this in this version. I know it's just a cartoon, but man, Sidious's teeth are nasty. Oh yeah, they're all over the place. Yeah. So I wonder when he's Palpatine if he like has fake dentures. I'm sure basically. he does. For a while, I thought that em- the Emperor form was his true form, and he was. Just as he like he was hiding his dark side self from the Jedi, he was also hiding his true form, his true face. I know that's ridiculous and doesn't really make any sense, but I feel like in the mid two thousands, I had this crazy theory that I was really sticking by. But yeah. the teeth thing would fit in that. Yeah, that he's just kind of he's almost like a force hologram. Yeah, he's he's like the Sentinel robot Palpatine. That's now all the rage with the kids and the video games. <laughs> so Anakin and Kenobi are sent on a mission, and they go to this planet. I think it's uh, Pandora, right? Yeah, it's Pandora, and the Navi show up, basically. <laughs> and it really kind of is the Navi. Yeah. James Cameron and Lucas always hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you know, I really like those blue people. You mind if I borrow them? You look at it now and it's like, yeah, straight up. Yeah. That's that's some Avatar stuff. Yeah. Who knew back then <laughs> that they were the same universe? They're at Disney together now because Disney knows. Yeah. It was in George Lucas's notes <laughs> that they bought Star Wars. There's one page that says Star Wars equals Avatar. <laughs> It's all the same thing, just Star Wars and Avatar. Space people. I don't even know. Again, secret, I don't care. So they go to this village, and there's only women and children, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's the opposite of Temple of Doom. 
but also similar to Temple of Doom, they go in like a little hut and there's like an old shaman wise man saying that uh, he's got to go to Bangkok Palace. They say that Anakin has to do the trial of fire. Yeah. And yeah, Anakin's like, wait, huh? What? Huh? I don't want, I don't want fire. Yeah. <laughs> Something plagues their land. Champion after champion have been sent out, yet none have returned. They were choosing another one when you intervened. I'm not sure if I've heard this right. It seems you have to journey into fire. What? Meanwhile, back in Coruscant, the invasion has begun. And then things just get start to get really wild, really crazy. It's super action-packed. Like this, I remembered this part being cool, but it was way more intense than than I remembered it. We get lots of sweet battle droid dropships and all the cool droids from Attack of the Clones wandering around the streets of Coruscant. Mace Windu surfing on top of a vulture droid. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, because that was the thing in the first one, too, the first couple, that there's a lot of, like, Superman Jedi things going on here with yeah. Jedi just doing ridiculous things, you know? But I was like, man, what's so wrong with that? Yeah, it's a cartoon. And, you know, in the movie, they jump out of windows and they yeah. just fly and fall down and land on cars. I mean, really, this, I think the action in this one is almost more realistic than the first one they dialed it back a little bit because you know mace is flying around but he's flying on a battle droid vulture droid like you know that's that's plausible yeah what's so crazy about that <laughs> yeah what and what's his uh what's his name say say tin is that how he says? yeah yeah some i don't something like that yeah yeah you Sassy. got Sassy, sassy Tin. Sassy he's, Tin. He's leading a bunch of clones in space with space jetpacks and stuff. Yeah, which is another thing that the 3D show borrowed from this. Like, there's a lot of what ended up in New Clone Wars kind of had its the first taste in this old Clone Wars. General Tin, the ship is lost. It's time to get a new one. Yes, sir. Prepare to board. <laughs> So they cut back to Anakin. Um, they're calling him Ghost Hand, which I, yeah. re- I really like that they're focusing a lot on his robot hand, as they should. Follow the mother's cry, who is frozen with fear, and his direction is enter the mother's mouth to awaken her inner flame. Which, if you want to get deep with that, the mother's cry, Padme, she's frozen with fear, enter the mother's mouth to awaken her inner flame. I mean, is that talking about the fact that she is pregnant? The inner flame, the children? You must follow the wind, for it is the mother's cry. Travel her tears. They are frozen with fear. Enter the mother's mouth to awake her inner flame. Yeah. Am I getting too deep? Am I getting too deep? I don't know. You know, (laughs) this is right before Revenge of the Sith, so... We didn't know it was going to be in Revenge of the Sith, but they probably did. I would say to balance the deepness, too, you, you get shirtless Anakin, which is always a plus. Uh, like Sharpie marker leeches on him. Um, <laughs> but I think the best thing for me is like 
there's like a lot of Anakin armpit hair in this guy. I noticed that too. Like yeah. Hardcore. Enough my son noticed too at one point. He's like, man, look at Anakin's armpit hair. <laughs> so maybe that was the thing that Lucas was like, no, 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 no. Structural, <laughs> nobody's got armpit hair in Star Wars. Yeah. No one has armpit hair in space. It's because I don't have armpit hair. I shave them every day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very eccentric. The beard will never go, but the armpit hair, I, yeah. never. So back on Coruscant, you got Palpatine sitting there sipping tea while the whole invasion happens. Space tea. Come in. Supreme Chancellor, we must get you to your shelter immediately. But the battle is so far off. Please, Supreme Chancellor, we must follow safety protocol and get you to... I will not cower in the face of this treacherous attack. You got Shakti, a hammerhead Jedi dude, and a Muftok Jedi dude come running in to save Palpatine. And I love Palpatine during that whole thing because he's just like, whatever. And it's great that they kind of, I think, drive home the point that General Grievous really didn't know what was going on. Like, Dooku and Sidious knew the plan, but no one else in the Separatists had an, any idea what was going on. But yeah, the Jedi Superstar Squad is pretty great. I like that it's Shakti, too, since she was one of the ones that almost died at the hands of Grievous at the beginning. And I cannot get enough of the Hammerhead Jedi's Force Scream. Ithorians, four throats, quite powerful. So I've heard. Yeah, where where's that in the live action? Oh, movies, because yeah, all the stuff with Grievous like peeking his head around corners and like upside down into windows and stuff is really yeah. funny. Every time the Muftak Jedi talks, it's solid gold. Yes, brilliant job. Kind of after that, Anakin goes into the cave, and there's a crazy cave drawing on the wall, and it tells like this crazy story about like this little creature. The little creature's a hero. The creature gets mechanical arm, becomes super powerful, kills his wife, and the Vader mask appears. Basically, it tells you what happens in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great. I mean, I remember, again, I remember sitting watching that on Cartoon Network and being like, oh, my God, this is amazing, you know? I I enjoyed it a lot more now that I already know what happens in Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) After that, you got insanely awesome... Magna Guard fights with Shakti and the Hammerhead Jedi guy and everybody. And it made me think, like, you know, Filoni always talked about he always wanted to kind of do this in his Clone Wars and show the invasion of Coruscant and go right into Revenge of Sith. But I can't help thinking, like, what would Filoni's invasion of Coruscant look like? I don't know that it would be that different, though. It's almost like I would think it would be almost the same. Some different characters because it really every every crazy thing they're doing is kind of taken from the films. Like the it looks a little bit like Revenge or uh, 
the fight at the end of Phantom Menace with everybody jumping and gl- falling off of things is like the Jedi were doing an attack of the clones. Mm-hmm. But it is really cool. I think a little later on when when Shakti loses her lightsaber and then she just steals a Magna Guard staff oh. and it's like Magna Guard on Magna Guard staff action. Shakti doesn't even need her lightsaber. She's so tough. Actually, man, then there's the whole part with uh, the Mooftalk guy holding Palpatine while he's fighting. Oh, holding him like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Senator, Senator Baby. So we cut back to Anakin's story, and he finds, like, the um, the Navi warriors, which they're called, like, the Novan warriors. Mel- Melvon. Melvon. So he finds them, and, like, they're, like, making them into, like, c- cyborg people or something, and they're, like, controlled by this crystal thing. So Anakin reaches in, takes the crystal thing out, and that destroys his robot hand. And then Anakin has an incredible moment where he rages out, and he kills a bunch of techno union dudes. Yeah, and the fact that you know the villains are techno union guys, I gotta love that too because there's not a, there's never enough techno union guys. And the guy before he dies tries to dial in his voice like everyone's favorite Watt Tambor. <laughs> Did you notice too earlier when Anakin first gets there, they have I think Grievous's plans up. Yes. Mm-hmm. So either they're just trying to imply that those guys made Grievous, or the ultimate goal is to turn the hamster dudes into Grievous style things. I don't know. I have a Grievous army, a, a hamster Grievous. <laughs> Navi hamsters. That's you know he had the wheel bike right, so the new versions will just run in the wheel. They'll save a lot of electricity that way. <laughs> So it's then kind of at the end is a great moment where, like, Anakin asks, Do you think they'll be able to reclaim their old lives? I sense they will, as long as each of them is willing to accept himself. Switch again, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Will Anakin be able to reclaim his old life? As long as he accepts himself. The back to Coruscant, Grievous shows up. And it's a great moment where Palpatine kind of steps back when it's like Grievous against Muftok Jedi and Hammerhead Jedi, and Grievous just kills them both. Yep. But Palpatine's kind of just like, <laughs> Grievous tries to run off with, uh, with Palpatine, right? And Mace Windu crushes Grievous's chest. Yeah, and I wonder about that if they added that scene late. Because it seems like with all the Revenge of the Sith making of stuff that the whole cough and Grievous, wasn't that a later addition to the story? I think so. I mean, they could have made these very late in the game too. So it's kind of like everyone made a big deal about Rogue One basically showing the crawl. But this did it. First in 2005. Yeah. But nobody um, remembers these. Nobody talks about yeah. these. Anakin's got his new robot arm. And there's another bit of foreshadowing. Anakin, the most difficult trial a Jedi must face is to look inside oneself. Often we see things we don't like. But these aspects are not set in stone. It is our decisions that shape our destinies. 
And then right up to the end, oh, you guys got to come back. Rescue Palpatine. Gotta go do Revenge of the Sith now. Yep. Man, that last shot is super, super cool. Where they just pull out in their ships and ships and ships and more ships. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's the opening of Sith. Kenobi, Skywalker. Coruscant is under siege, and General Grievous has abducted the Supreme Chancellor. You must return immediately. You must rescue Palpatine. Grievous. Battle stations. All crews of their fighters. Prepare to jump into hyperspace. Move! This is out there. This exists, and this is like a weird alternate what could have been for Clone Wars and... We may never know what happened with Jendi, Gendi, and Lucas and the falling out. I don't know, but this forever exists, at least as long as it stays up on YouTube or the lucky people that have it on DVD Yeah, as a what if, what could have been. Yeah, the master tapes are in the vault with detours and Lord, Lord and Miller on solo. So, <laughs> man, yeah, hopefully someday they'll re-release this because... I think this would look great on Blu-ray. I agree. I mean, there were toys made. There were sideshows. Yeah. Gent- no, there were gentle giant statues. I have the gentle giant General Grievous from this Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. I have a bunch of the the figures that came out, and well, and then there's like I said, there was the whole comic book series too, yeah. which was which was great. Like, it's a really fun kind of kid focused comic series. And I was thinking too, it would be really nice, especially now with the new cartoon coming out, Forces of Destiny, like. It would be great for Lucasfilm and, and Gendy to work together again. It would be awesome to let him do a couple of those. I agree. But, yeah, definitely if you have the opportunity to watch these, if you haven't seen them, they're really good. Yeah. Chapters begin Friday, November 7th at 8, only on Cartoon Network. So, Gabe, over the weekend, we, my daughter and I got to do an awesome thing where in Ann Arbor there was this uh, Ann Arbor Kids Comic Festival at the Ann Arbor Public Library. And one of the guests they had was Jarrett Krosowska, who is the writer and illustrator of the new series of Star Wars Jedi Academy kids graphic novel books, which are really, really good. Yeah, those are real cool. My son likes those too. I knew, like, because I, I was at a school book fair last year. And I was like, what's what's the deal with these? And I picked it up, and I was flipping through it. And as soon as I saw that the school guidance counselor was a Gungan <laughs> named Miss Katara, and she talks like a Gungan, I was like, all right. 
I approve of this series of books. Yeah. <laughs> Teaching kids the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really, really, really good. And he puts, you know, they're, the kids love them, but like for adults, there's all kinds of deep cut aliens that he puts in there. There's a lot of Star Wars love in these books. He's got a new Jedi Academy book coming out at the end of July called The Force Oversleeps. And he was awesome enough to give my daughter a copy of it. And she's read it, and I've read it, and it's really, really good. And um, and also, she got to interview him at Vault of Midnight, the fantastic comic book store in downtown Ann Arbor. Cool. And so let's go to the audio of that interview between my daughter Agnes and Jarrett Krososka right now. I'm Agnes from Blast Points, and today I am interviewing Jarrett J. Krasoska, the author and illustrator of the Jedi Academy books and the Lunch Lady books. What is your favorite Jedi? Uh, let's see. Hmm. That, actually, I've never had that question. I always get asked who's your favorite character, and the droids are my favorite characters, R2-D2 and C-3PO, and now BB-8. But my favorite Jedi... Um, I, I gotta go with Luke Skywalker. I feel like that's like the classic Jedi t- to go with. But I, I, I like the, I love his um, story arc. So, but we'll see. I have, I don't. They, they don't tell me anything about the new movie. So I, I, you know, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. My favorite Jedi is Ahsoka because she is very courageous and brave. <laughs> what was the inspiration for your book? Well, I, when I was invited to create a new story arc for Jedi Academy, I thought about my own life in terms of growing up, because these books are really about just kids growing up and dealing with life. As much as it is as, as they're, you know, they're learning how to wield lightsabers and use the Force, they're coming of age and trying to figure out you know, who they are as people. So I very reluctantly joined the school musical by designing the sets, because I like to draw when I was in high school. And then every year, the director tried to get me on stage, and he was finally successful in my last year. And I designed the sets all throughout high school. Does this book relate to you? Yes. <laughs> for the aforementioned answer for the last question, I guess. Yeah, because you know I was a bit like Victor Starspeeder in that I was joined this the, the school musical. I also did get into a little bit of trouble once for drawing pictures of my teachers. And one of my teachers found those drawings. Did you actually have a crush on a girl? Yeah. In life, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> do, do, you find your books, do you find your books relatable to people, other people? I think so. I think that, you know, if you, if you look inwardly to your own life, someone is bound to have had a similar experience as you. Were any of the characters made to be or act like some of your friends or enemies? Ah, well, I don't know if I have enemies. Maybe a couple of frenemies. We all got a couple of frenemies in life, I suppose. But um, are they any of them directly related to people I know? Um, yes and no. I mean, every person I meet or know or get to understand helps me, you know, I, informs me as an author because... Whether I mean to or not, some of those personalities or character traits of people I know end up in my characters in one way or another. 
But P10 made to be like one of your dogs. P10 was not made to be one of my dogs, but he was named after a cabin I used to work at. I used to work at this place called the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. And it's a camp for kids with cancer and other illnesses. And my very first summer working there, I was in Purple 10. So we went by P10. Now, he is actually more inspired by a Roomba, which is like this robot that, you know, goes from wall to wall cleaning. Um, so I thought he would be sort of like, the, like what I thought what droid would be the custodial staff um, for the school. And then I, and because the custodial staff knows and sees all. And, um, and, and I also thought about some of like the, the way he moves is a lot like, like some of the droids in, in the Star Wars movies. But in terms of my dog, I think that I draw, I think the way in which I draw Yoda is inspired by the way in which I draw my pugs. To the point where sometimes I'll be sketching Yoda in a book and it ends up looking more like my dog. This is a pretty obvious question. Um, did anyone help you write or illustrate your book? Did anybody help me write or illustrate my book? Well, I have an editor at my publisher, and that, pu- that editor helps me form the story and helps, you know, point out when when things are not working. He points out that they're not working and maybe helps send me in a better direction. And sometimes when I think things aren't working, he's there to say, you know what, this is a l- pretty good. Uh, and then in terms of helping me with the art, so I draw all the pictures, and then uh, I have there's an artist named Joey Weiser. He's he's the author and illustrator of a book series called Merman, which are these great kids' comics. And I actually they have them on the shelves here at the Vault of Midnight. Anyhow, he lays down. I so I, I email him the digital files of the artwork, and he lays down the, some of the gray tones, and then I get those computer files back. And then I modulate the light, which means I think about the light source and then I, I, I draw in the shadows underneath the characters and, and the way their clothing folds over. So he helps me really uh, get this art done on time because I usually have a pretty tight deadline and these books are like 176 pages long. Last but not least, I liked how you made everyone different and that is all. I appreciate you noticing that. It was wonderful to chat with you. And here, you can't hear this on the radio, but we are shaking hands. Go ahead, bud. Yeah, there you go. It's a classic radio handshake. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, so much Thank you, you so much. That was fun. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> She's eventually she'll take over. Yeah. You can retire. <laughs> when we're too old and tired. No one wants to hear us talk about GA97 anymore. Yeah. You've been talking about GA97 for 20 years. <laughs> it's not funny anymore, guys. Yeah. I'm still waiting to see him walk. <laughs> I'm not dying till I see him walking. All right, Moof Milkers is episode 4,000 of Blast Points. <laughs> we still haven't seen GA97 walk. Yeah. First, we got more droids episodes to watch. <laughs> and these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise.
so iTunes reviews. After you're done listening to this episode, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and leave us a sweet review because it helps. And we like reading them. And if you write something, we'll read it on an upcoming show. And don't forget to check out BlastPointsPodcast.com for updates on episodes and recipes and random things. And check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and download the podcast wherever you can find Star Wars podcasts. I think there was just a brand new Darfield comic that showed up on uh, BlastPointsPodcast.com. Yeah, yeah, I think Darth Field is back from wherever he went. <laughs> you, you never know with those cats. They just wander and they do their own thing. So, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and order a Blast Points t-shirt. The link's on uh, the BlastPointsPodcast.com. The link is on there. You can get yourself a sweet t-shirt. Perfect for summertime and beaches and watching Clone Wars. <laughs> In the dark. Yeah. Wear it to prom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wear it on a, you go on a blind date, wear a blast point shirt. Yeah. It's a blast date. Yeah. <laughs> if you're on if you're on the Tinder, if you're doing that with the kids. Make sure to wear your <laughs> blast point shirt in all your uh, dating photos. <laughs> You'll get more dates. Yep. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's about wraps up episode 79 here. Join us next week for episode 80. It's going to be something. <laughs> all right. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. can't get too much into what the movie's about, but obviously everyone knows it's about Han Solo. What does Han Solo mean to you? I, I, I sort of relate to him. He's, uh, he's, he doesn't want to do anything that he's told. Uh, <laughs> when you tell him not to do something, uh, it makes him want to do it more. Uh, he's very sarcastic. And, and at the end of the day, he's um, un, unreasonably optimistic. And, and I think that's why, you know, we fall for that guy and why we got so excited about making this movie.